0: And grab your Bibles as you do, turn in them to Philippians. Um, we've done it. We got through chapter 1. It's only taken us like 6-7 weeks to do it, um, but we are making progress and headway working through the book of Philippians. Yeah, I want to give you a little idea of kind of how the next several weeks are going to play out. Um, up until the Sunday right before Thanksgiving, we are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. And then on Thanksgiving Sunday, or the Sunday right after Thanksgiving, um, we're taking a break from a formal sermon time, and that morning is your opportunity to share praises and prayer requests, how God is working in your life, things that you want to celebrate and want us to celebrate with Him, uh, prayer requests that you may have that you would like the body to be aware of and to pray for. Now that morning, we are also going to be reciting Philippians chapters 1 and 2 collectively, and we're going to do it, and we're going to, I'm still trying to figure out the mechanics of how we're going to do it. Um, But you signed up for verses, and some of you signed up for one, which is great, and some of you signed up for more, which is fine as well. And uh, we will recite these two chapters together. Now I need to send the clipboard back around here this morning to you, because there's some new blanks on the clipboard. So um, we're going to start that with Mike and Becky. When it gets back to Will, just... Slide it on over there, and it can work its way back up. Some of those blanks are because Pastor Larry and Nancy have been asked to be interim pastor down in Winchester, Virginia, at one of our sister churches down there. And they're not going to be able to be with us that morning. And he decided he was going to close down chapter 1 for us. So we've got four or five verses there and the end of chapter 1 that could be filled in. And uh, so if your name's not on there, you want to participate, that's great. If you're looking at the list and you're kind of wondering if somebody might have signed you up without your permission, uh, you have freedom to cross that out. Um, There are people like myself who would do that to you. Um, And and we just want to have an opportunity that morning as we've had an emphasis on memorizing God's Word. We've had a verse from Philippians each week to memorize um, here's an opportunity for us to collectively um, have chapters 1 and 2 recited as we really close down the first half of this book. Um, so that's that Thanksgiving Sunday, and then we step right into Christmas. I mean, we're, we're about a month or so away from stepping right full on into Christmas stuff. Um, and we'll be looking at Jesus as the prophet, the priest, the king, and the gift. And that will be our focus during our... Sunday months in December, and then once we get to January, we're going to hop right back into Philippians chapters 3 and 4, but I want to tell you right now, because I want you to be putting this on your calendar, I want you to be thinking about it, making plans for this, December 31st is a Sunday that you do not want to miss, so if there was one can't miss Sunday for you in all of 2017, it is that Sunday, and it's not because it's Carrie and I's anniversary. It is that, but it's not for you that. So we're going to be celebrating 12 years of marriage together, but that is a can't miss Sunday. We're going to be doing some vision check things and just taking a look at these four palettes behind me and what they stand for and what they mean and how we're doing with those. And we got some exciting things that we want to share with you. And so, uh, if you were wondering, man, maybe that's, maybe that's that day that, you know, I'm good for 52 Sundays in a year, but 2017 stretching me a little bit for a 53rd. I'm going to take a break that morning. Uh, no, please come, all 53, and make plans to come on that last day of 2017. So, this morning, we're going to be breaking down Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And I wanted to remind us before we hop into the text what Paul is doing and the reasons why he is writing to them. He is writing to them to to update them. That's one purpose of his Book. He wants them to understand and and have an idea about his present circumstances. He is going to send this letter back with Epaphroditus. who's going to make his way back across to these believers in Philippi when Paul's imprisoned in Rome. And he just wants to update them and he wants to encourage them. And he did so at the tail end of chapter 1 by just telling them, Look, I'm convinced I'm going to make my way back to see you so that you're going to be encouraged and you would have joy in your faith. And he wants to celebrate God's work in and through them. He wants to remind them of the foundational promises of the gospel. That what God begins, God finishes. And that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. He wants to celebrate that work. He wants to thank them for the financial gifts that they have been giving to him. And that they provided for him. He wants to encourage them and exhort them in their faith. And we've been in some of those passages and verses over the last several weeks where he's been telling them, look, you need to stand firm with one mind and in one spirit strive together and be not frightened by your opponents because you're going to communicate something very powerful to them with your fearlessness, and that's you're anticipating, and there is a guaranteed salvation waiting for you, but there's destruction On the other side. And so, in the face of opposition to the gospel moving forward, stand firm and strive together and be fearless and do all of that because God has promised what He began, He's going to finish. And there is nothing or no one that is going to thwart those plans. Now, there are, without doubt, some passages in the Bible that are difficult to understand. There's just no question about it. Today's text is not one of those passages. We don't even really have to give a ton of commentary to what Paul says this morning because it's just pretty obvious. But here's where the difficulty is going to lie, living it out. We're going to be able to understand this text, but to obey it, to live it out, that's where we're going to feel the rub. And that's where the tension is going to lie. And there's really three primary ways that we engage uh, a passage of Scripture. And in the men were talking about this this past Wednesday night. It just as it relates to faith. And this is all a part of that because faith isn't just something that we are saved with. It's also something that sustains us. And as we looked last week, it's a gracious gift that God has given us. And so one way that we engage the text is we just know things about the text. We, We understand what was written, And so we could look at this text and we could see that verse 1 is, is comprised of four conditional clauses that all roll together into a central command at the beginning of verse 2. And then there's a purpose clause to the end, middle of verse 2. And then there's five participles that lead us towards an understanding of how the purpose clause fits together and leads to the central command. We can do that very easily. You don't even have to believe, be a believer to do that. I and mean, anybody who can read can, can really do that. So that's, that's one way that we engage the text, is we understand things about the text. The, the second way that we engage the text is that we are willing to acknowledge, well, God wrote this, and it's from Him. It, it's special revelation. He, he has spoken, and it's in my best interest to draw near and listen. It's saying that, you know, I, I believe this is true. I believe this is God's word, and it, it, it has the ring of truth to it, and it's written by God as he inspired Paul to pen this letter to the church in Philippi. That's, that's the second way that we engage this text. The first being that we just understand what the text says. The second is there's an acknowledgment that this is from God. And then the third is, is that we actually trust God, have enough faith in God, that we're willing to go, okay. Well, that's what you said, so that's what I'm going to go do. And this text is going to be pretty simple to understand, but it's going to be really difficult to live out. And part of this difficulty to live out these and this command in Philippians 2 lies in the fact that this way of thinking and this way of acting is contrary to what we are most normally disposed towards. And so there's, there's this way to look at the scriptures, and I think this could be just a helpful tip for you for Bible interpretation. If you see a command given, that command has been given by God in His Word because we are prone to do the opposite. Okay, so if the command is do this, love one another, it's a safe conclusion to reach that we're going to be we're going to be prone, we're going to be naturally bent to not being loving. Or if the command is, don't do this, we're prone to do the opposite. And that's where we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, is that there is this central command that is given articulation and, and, and clarification and definition, which, if we're honest, we are prone to not live like so we want to engage this text in all three ways we want to understand what it says we want to recognize that it's from god and we want to be willing to say okay god this is from you and it's for your glory and and for my good that i live this out and i need your grace and your strength to do just that so let's pray and let's pray to that end That God would be gracious in all three ways to us. That we would understand what the text says. We would be willing to acknowledge that it is God's revealed word. And that we would be willing to, through his strength, live it out. Father in heaven, we pray and ask for just that. We pray that you would help us understand what it is that Paul has written. That you would... That you would give us the grace that the spiritual eyes to see, that this is from you. There's so many people that encountered Jesus when he walked this earth, that he that he continually spoke about saying that, that they didn't get it because they didn't have eyes to see. Yeah, they understood his words, that they didn't they didn't get the message. Lord, we want, we want to get it. We want to have the spiritual eyes to see, the spiritual ears to hear. And so, God, with your Holy Spirit, would you just come and and not only meet with us collectively, but every single one of us individually, that, that we may, to a person, see. And God, would you help us to put feet in action to what it is that you're calling us to. God, we recognize, I recognize, this is not something lived out in my own strength. Because I am most naturally prone to think in exact opposite ways. So God, be gracious to us. Come and do work in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to verses one Let's read them. Uh, There will be a few points in time along the way that I'll just kind of give you some technical things. One of them, the first being that your Bible translation probably says the word so in the beginning there of verse 1. The word's better translated therefore. It's actually the Greek word for therefore. And and the reason that I speak and give that explanation is because this verse ties directly into what we just looked at and so the last two weeks we took one sentence that Paul wrote four verses 27 to 30 and we spent two weeks looking at that this morning it's again one sentence that he wrote we've got four verses to kind of help us in our English language make sense of that, But it's all connected and it all ties back to where we've been in this idea that we're to stand together and we're to strive together and we're to be unfrightened by opponents to the gospel. And because all of that is, is the, the explanation and the advancing of the gospel and built on the foundational promise that what God has begun, he will finish. And so Paul begins there then in verse 1 Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, as we get going, I wonder how the Philippian church would have heard these verses, this sentence that Paul wrote as Epaphroditus rode or walked into town carrying a letter from Paul. I mean, this is way before text message and Facebook Messenger and the instant form of communications we have now. I mean, you're talking months of travel and perhaps even up to a year and a half if Epaphroditus took a letter from them and an update from them, and then he, Paul's writing this letter, and he's got to work his way back all the way. I mean, we're talking hundreds of miles of distance between these two cities here, and Epaphroditus rolls into town, and he starts reading, or he has somebody start to read this letter. I can imagine the church having gathered around them just with bated breath, wondering and waiting and what is Paul going to say and here he he uses some uh, literary devices to just get them more and more on the edge of their seat and more and more anxious and waiting and anticipating for what comes next and in some ways it's similar to what we hear at political rallies And I've never been in person to a political rally. I've watched some of them on television. But there's always that moment, and it's usually towards the end, that the politician is going to start using a whole bunch of conditional phrases, which he's using purposefully to set himself up for the big finish. And so it typically goes something like this. So if you want more of this, and you can fill in whatever your this is, and if you want more of that... And if you want less of this, and if you want less of that, it kind of all crescendos to this moment where, you know, it's vote for me, and the confetti falls down, and the band strikes up, and there's applause, and everybody's losing their mind in the political moment and drama that is unfolding there. That's what Paul's doing here. These first four clauses in verse 1 of Philippians, all of them are conditional clauses, Now, the word if is only there once in our English translations, but it shows up all four times as he originally wrote it. And what he's doing is he is trying to get them closer and closer and closer to the edge of their seats with bated breath and anticipation and in longing because he's going to crescendo to the big finish. And he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and he writes this in such a way that the Philippian church would have only had one conclusion but to say, yes, if there is any comfort from love, yes, if there's any participation from the Spirit, yes, there's any affection or or sympathy. Yes. And it's just crescendoing and crescendoing and crescendoing. And he says, You make my joy complete. And it rolls forward and crescendos into this central command that Paul gives there at the beginning of verse two to complete his joy. And we see the central command of this entire passage, of this entire sentence, being there at the beginning of verse 2, complete my joy. And then he continues to say, being of the same mind. And in our English translations, we, we can perhaps see that as, as, a, uh, as a way to complete his joy, But the way he originally wrote it, he's telling us that the end result of his joy being completed is when we are of the same mind. The result from our obedience or their obedience to what he has to say is going to be unity of mind. Being unified in mind at this point, as he writes, is not how you get there. That's the destination. And so the command is to complete his joy, this joy that he has spoken of in chapter 1 where he says, look, when I remember you, I pray for you. And when I pray for you, my heart is overflowing with joy for you because of the partnership and fellowship of the gospel that you had the very first day I rode into town and now still continues some 8 to 10 years later. So complete my joy, church in Philippi, be united. When you're united, then my joy will be complete. And this is all in continuation of what he had to say in verses 27 to 30. That we are called to stand together, strive together, be unfrightened in the face of opposition Because that fearlessness is a powerful communicator and all of this is based on the foundational promise that what God begins, He will complete. And so the result of what the Philippian church is supposed to do is to have unity of mind. And Paul then spends the next few words and verses explaining how you get there we're going to see that there's four ways that he tells us that this is to be accomplished. The first way that we see this being accomplished is having the same love. There you have it in verse 2. Having the same love. Love. What love is he speaking of? Is it the love of God? Is it the love of the of them that they have for each other? Is it the love of Paul? Of them? It, it's probably all of the above, and there's no indication that, that a specific person or group is in view here. But he's already been praying for them in Philippians 1 verse 9, that their love may abound more and more, that they would be able to approve what is excellent. He's told them in verse 1, if there's any comfort from love. I think there the implication clearly with love being sandwiched on either side by Christ in the Spirit is Paul's referring to the love of God the Father. And so when he refers back to this, it's this all-encompassing way of saying, look, if, if you are the recipient of God's love, That is to extend and be demonstrated towards one another. And that's the first way that you're going to accomplish this unity of mind that is going to allow you to stand shoulder to shoulder and hold the line and strive together and push back the darkness and remain unfrightened because there is a love expressed amongst you that is the same. And it's God's love that you have received extended to your brothers and sisters in the church. This same love. Secondly, he tells us that we're to have the same or to be of the same mind in full accord and in one mind. That idea of being in full accord is to have harmonious spirits. It's that we, we, we learn to want the same things. It's thoughtfully planning with an emphasis on our attitudes. Because we're supposed to have the same love and we're supposed to be in full accord and of one mind. We're to thoughtfully plan with the right attitude. And then he gives two negative ways that this should not look and says, beginning there in verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. That idea of rivalry is trying to be better than one another. It's what Paul told us in Philippians 1, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, that the opponents within the church in Rome had as they were trying to afflict him by preaching the gospel. They had the right message and they had the wrong motives because they were jealous of him. And they, they rivaled him and they wanted to go and, and preach Christ crucified for the whole purpose of getting him in more trouble. And he says, look, if you're going to be united in mind, if you're going to complete my joy with the end result that you're, you're standing together and you're striving together and you're fearless in the face of opposition and there's a unity amongst you, you have the same love for one another. And you don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. That word conceit means empty glory. Here's the best way, I think, to consider how that looks and what it means. It may be prideful for LeBron James to claim that he's the greatest basketball player ever. It is not conceited for him to say that. The idea of empty glory is claiming something that has no basis in reality, saying something is true of yourself that is completely devoid of any realistic reality. So it would be conceited of me to claim I am the best basketball player ever. There's no basis in reality for that. It is not conceited of LeBron James to say that, though it may be prideful, You tracking with this idea of conceit. You don't claim things that are true, or you don't claim things to be true of yourselves that have no basis in reality. So don't try to be better than each other in your actions. Don't have rivalry. Don't even try to be better than each other in your words and claim things that are true of you that are not true of you. But you know what? Be humble that's what he says next. The third thing that we're to do is in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's the third way we see this unity of mind and purpose being accomplished is that we count others more significant. That word count means to hold an opinion or a view. It's to believe that something is true, so it describes a settled issue in our minds. Paul is not saying, recognize that some people are better than you. I mean, there's a human way which we we engage in a society like that. We We have those in positions of authority that even the Scriptures call us to defer and give honor and respect to. So there are those in our society that we would recognize are perhaps more significant because they have a position of authority that we have been called to give honor and respect towards. That is not what Paul is saying here. He is saying you are not to recognize that others are more significant than you. You are to choose to conclude that others are more significant than you. And at the root of this idea lies grace. Because God has given me what I do not deserve when I deserved the complete opposite. And because he's done that, I am now free and called to think and act, and treat all of you in the way I've been treated. Now, some of you might say, but you don't know what they did, and you don't know what they said, and you don't know how they treated me, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and you, don't. And you know what, I, I don't, I don't, but, but just in this moment, like your argument doesn't lie with me, it lies with the scriptures. And again, the difficult thing here is not that we would not understand the text, but we'd be unwilling to live it out. And time and time again throughout the whole New Testament, there's this repeated idea that as we have been forgiven, we are called to forgive. To the measure and to the degree that we have received, the forgiveness of God through Christ Jesus is where and how we extend that forgiveness forward. And we determine in our minds, even though there may be no basis in it for or of reality, you're more significant than me. And that idea of significant is of surpassing value. So I heard it said once, and, and this, this, has, this has applications in, in like, Incredibly significant areas of life. How we interact with each other, how, we, how we, we speak to one another, how we defer to one another. I mean, there's significant ways in life that this matters. There, there's some everyday humorous ways in life that this can come into play as well. And so here's, here's an example that sticks out in my mind of that. Uh, I heard it said once uh, by a mentor of mine from another mentor of his that it is beneath the office of the senior pastor to get in a dunk tank. And the point there was when a church has an event and there's a dunk tank, the senior pastor is not the one who gets in it because that is beneath the office that he holds. And I was listening to that, and I didn't say this, which is a win in and of itself. I really am glad Jesus didn't think that way. Because you're not like three verses away from Paul telling us that he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being obedient unto death on a cross. Like When when you place a dunk tank in line with eternity and what Christ has done, it doesn't pale in comparison. And, and it was in that moment that I just found myself, and I, I, wasn't, even, I, I didn't, wasn't even working here at this point. So I was just a youth pastor, which, let's be honest, in church, if there's somebody getting in the dunk tank, it's the youth pastor before the senior pastor. But I just, I just resolved in my own heart and mind in that moment to go, you know what? I don't prefer the dunk tank, but if I need to get in that tank to blow some wind in the sails of some little kids, I'm willing to do it. Like I'm willing to take the pie in the face at the end of VBS week or the end of our, a missionary giving campaign. If that's just what helps get all of our little kids excited about being generous and sacrificing, bringing in their dimes and their nickels and their lint from their pockets and just putting it all in there for the missionary. Like I will get in the dunk tank and take a pie in the face if that blows wind in their sails because they're more significant than I am. They have a surpassing value that perhaps is to not be recognized, but is to be counted. The disciples struggled with this. Hey, Jesus, there's a whole bunch of little kids that want to see you. We didn't didn't really think you had time for them, and so we're just trying to push them away. He goes, "Now you let the little children come. This attitude of counting others more significant than ourselves. It matters in the really, really weighty things in life. But it matters in the dunk tank things of life. Now just so we're clear, I'm really glad we don't have a dunk tank coming on Thursday. All right. Oh no. Unless it's back there. I'll go back there. We can it'll be warm-ish. Paul gives us one more way that this is accomplished. And he says, looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And he's saying this, and again, this is all in the context of this idea of, of standing together, of, of, of being linked in arms, shoulder to shoulder, holding the line being willing to advance forward in the face of opposition with fearlessness. He goes, "You, you consider others more significant, and you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. See, this is you and I. Taking what he said in verse 11 of chapter 1 that we would approve what is excellent to be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, good works that comes through Jesus Christ. So the only way we have good works is through Jesus Christ. But this is you and I saying through and in the power of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to be the weak link. Because I'm going to recognize in these moments, somebody else needs me more than I need this moment of gratification or this instance of saying yes to sin. That somebody needs me more. And maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your kids. It, in the context of a body of believers, it is most certainly us. It is a recognition that you need me more than I need me. I'm not going to look just to my own interests, to the interests of others. I'm going to learn how to approve what is excellent as my love for God and my love for you abounds more and more. And this is before you say yes to that outburst of anger or that thinly veiled moment of frustration on Facebook that you think about what you're saying no to. This is before you choose to not show up on a Sunday morning and say yes to yourself, in that way you choose and think about what and who you are saying no to. See, the body of Christ as it's described repeatedly, is a mutually giving and a mutually receiving group. And so when you come here, you're not just coming for yourself. Now, i, I Pray that you're encouraged by being here, that you're equipped by being here, that you find, you find a, little, a little butt whooping by being here. There's a little exhortation happening because you're here. Like I pray that those things are true, but it, you're not here just for you. You're here for the person next to you and the person across the aisle from you and the person four rows in front of you, and you are to be here as a mutually receiving and a mutually giving participant in this thing called the body. And this idea of looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others is considering when we say yes to something who are we saying no to? I and mean, in this idea just it it spills over in to everything. I mean, it, it'll touch our money if we let it. It'll touch our time if we let it. It'll touch our priorities if we let it. And again, the difficult thing about this text is not to understand what the text says. It's to live it out. It's to live it out. It's to, it's to want to, to be a part of a group that has unity in mind, and in mission. That would say, you know what? Yeah, I'm encouraged in Christ. I've experienced the love of the Father. I have fellowship with the Spirit. There is affections and there is sympathy or mercy that I have for those around me. And those things are true of me. And I, I want this unity But in every, or like in every significant relationship that we have, the only way this happens at a healthy functioning level is if we all decide we're all in. And the same thing's true with marriage. I mean, if my wife decides that she's all in and I'm not, we don't have a healthy relationship. She's going to feel the weight of that. She's going to feel like she's constantly giving and pouring out and laying down and surrendering and sacrificing and doing all these things. And there's no reciprocation from her husband for that. And that's exhausting. But if we, if we decide, you know what, we're, we're both all in, we're not going to be all in perfectly. So the picture's probably better if we just end up both kind of bumbling and stumbling over one another, trying to be all in. That maybe we have something that honors the Lord. That pictures the relationship Jesus has with the church. And in similar ways, that's where you and I find ourselves in this thing called the body. If just, if just you guys were all in, eventually you look over at them and you go, this, this, this effort's not worth it. But if we all are willing to kind of trip over one another and bumble and stumble our way forward in this thing called fellowship and, and, and standing and striving and fearlessness and, and this desire to be unified in mind... We're not going to do it perfectly. But I think we don't find ourselves exhausted. Lord willing, we find ourselves encouraged. The difficult part of this text is not understanding what this text says. And it's one thing to know what this text says. Remember, that's the first way we engage it's a whole nother thing to be able to go, you know what? God has said this, and this is true, and this is going to be for His glory. If my desire is to glorify Him, this will be the path forward in this thing called the church body that will bring Him the most glory. And it's a whole nother thing to let our actions live this out and we're not going to do it on our own strength we're not going to do it through our own desires this will only be accomplished as we confess and repent of where and how we have failed to live this way and as we look to Jesus as both our perfect example and the one whose spirit empowers this obedience. That's where we go over the next two weeks. Beginning in verse 5 of Philippians 2 to 11, Paul is going to set Christ forward as the perfect example of the one who, who did what he says in verses 1 and 4. You get to 12 and 13, we're then told that the obedience to do this is empowered by God himself. And so we do this as we confess and repent of where and how we have failed and recognize that this is only accomplished as we look to Jesus as the example of how this is perfectly lived out and as we cling to Him as the one who is able to give us the empowerment we need to obey. Let's pray. Well, Jesus Paul has said that the the fruit of righteousness, the The result of our active, obedient relationship with you is through you. And so we we, we come to this list of, of good things. Things that we need to obey. And I just want to recognize that I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your empowerment. I need you to change my desires. I need you to change what I'm most prone and inclined towards. God, use your word to transform my mind, to renew it. And help us to see you as the perfect example, as the one who lived this out. So God, we want to be that body that stands together and strives together and that's fearless in the face of opposition. We need your example and your grace and your empowerment to do that. So we come asking. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.